everyone. Welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. This is our Pitch Fest 2021 series and we are down to the final episode with our winner. I'm joined today by my co-host Tim Silverwood. How are you going, Tim? Great. Thanks, Amelia. I don't know if I should be feeling a little bit emotional or just very excited that we've reached the 12th episode in our Pitch Fest 2021 series. And I always love a conversation with Sam Elson from Sea Forest. So let's go with excited. Excited? Yeah, I agree. It's been a ride. We've gone through the whole 12 now and episode after episode, things just keep getting better. Um, And what an exciting one to be talking to Sam today, who is also a returning uh, Ocean Impact podcast uh, guest. That's right. Yeah, he did come on the podcast earlier and I'd recommend people would go and visit that one. I think it was episode 47 just to go and get the whole backstory. Um, But this one we do certainly, you know, prompt some recall on what we visited in that episode but certainly go a little bit deeper with that episode this one really I suppose we wanted to chat with Sam about what's happened it's been over 12 months since we had him on the podcast and really what's uh what's come from winning Pitchfest 2021 and this company is moving at the rate of knots so it's always good just to have a catch up and find out where they're at and of course where they're heading yeah, and you know we talk about seaweed a fair bit. I know it's a, an area that you loved him. That's it's fascinating, and it was nice to have a little bit of recall as well, talking to Sam about this area when we had uh, Jesse from Atlantic Sea Farms on just a few episodes ago. So there was you know some interesting similarities, but also a lot of differences because the business models are different and aimed at kind of different sectors. We're talking really Australian innovation here. I think it's so fantastic that we had an incredible range of applications from all over the world. Uh, What are the odds that the winner of of Pitchfest 2021 was another incredible Australian startup? But it was. Um, How does it feel, Tim? I mean, I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah, look, I think I mentioned it. Um, He was probably a bit embarrassed uh, in the first podcast episode, but he's a bit of a poster boy, right, for the Ocean Impact Innovation Ecosystem. He worked in fashion, uh, sustainable fashion, before turning his attention to addressing climate change and really just did a full-on deep dive into how he as an individual could build a team and build a business to look at drawing down carbon, knowing that the runaway train is heading off into the distance and we need to find solutions to prevent but also draw down carbon. And it was Tim Flannery who inspired him to look towards seaweed. And, you know, you can look towards seaweed as a a sequestration solution, how to get it into the deep ocean or otherwise sequester it. But he sort of realised, well, hang on, we've got livestock industries that are one of the major contributors to global greenhouse gas emissions, why can't we look at these seaweed solutions that have been researched and understood in the academic context? How can we commercialise? And that is exactly what lights OIO up, especially on the Australian landscape, because we've got some of the best marine institutions and research facilities in the world, but we don't really seem to have our attention fixated upon commercialising and exporting those technologies. Australia as a nation still relies on very archaic resource use. So we dig up stuff and we sell it to the highest bidder, and quite often that's causing ginormous problems on the global climate landscape. So you look at someone like Sam and you're like, there is the future. There's someone who's figured out how to attract the best brains because he has. He's got the best people working in seaweed, in livestock, in the nation, and they now work for him and his business is growing so rapidly. He's 
fully resourced. He's off to the races. The thing I found most fascinating, I literally, I think my jaw hit the floor during this episode, was finding out that his challenge is not so much about supply, it's demand. He's producing really good quantities of this stuff now, but until there's a bigger macro setting which will encourage a lot of the livestock industries to adopt their solution, he's going to struggle. And I just could not believe that. I was literally shocked. And I think, um, you know, Amelia, you took some insights away from that too in terms of what's required at a policy level to drive ultimately positive impact on the ocean and the planet. A hundred percent. And we should give people some context who haven't watched the, the previous episode. Sea forests are farming this asparagopsis seaweed uh, in Tassie and they, they use this as a livestock supplement. They only need to use a tiny bit of this supplement in the feed of livestock and you can reduce the methane emissions by a very large amount, 90-something percent, 98%, I think it is. Don't quote me on the, the exact figure. Yeah, 98% and so, only like 30 grams of, of supplement required on a, on a daily basis. That's right, yeah. And methane has 28 times the, the warming impact than regular CO2, even though it has a shorter lifespan in our atmosphere. You know, to your point, Tim, about the regulatory change, that was, you know, something that I thought was so fascinating. And it really kind of recalled to me the episode with Declan McAdams from Panovo, episode six of this, of this series, if you want to go listen to it, that there's regulatory and political barriers to the adoption of these incredible solutions. And, you know, Sam was touching on how traditional farmers need either more incentives in the form of, of like carbon credits or they need more restrictions to encourage a quicker adaption and, and a move towards technologies like sea forests. So your jaw really did drop to the floor in this episode when he mentioned that their issue is not supply, it's demand. And so we really need that higher level uh, regulatory change to happen. And he does talk about the barriers that, that he's experienced trying to, to have this stuff go through. So I think there's a lot that we can all do as individuals. That's kind of what I took away from it. And so there's a bit of a call out to us, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. And I think um, you know, a bit of context there as well is that Australia has had a recent change in the in the federal leadership. And so I think Sam's dismay was perhaps reflective of some barriers that he faced with the with the existing previous government. So I'd like to hope that he's got, you know, the chutzpah and the team to really go out there and do some some profound lobbying. But you're right, there's been a number of occasions in this podcast series where founders or in the case of Declan McAdams, you know, chairman of P Panovo, do need to devote quite a considerable portion of their time and their energy to lobbying because that is a big part of it when you've got a solution which has a barrier attached to it because of policy decisions you've got to find a way of allocating that time and energy to try and unshackle that barrier and so i think that's kind of maybe a bit of an indication as to what sam's facing at the moment but again back to my regular diatribe about this is like we do not need barriers in place of sam elson we need his solution to scale we need livestock around australia and the world feeding on this supplement so we can start to combat the climate crisis and that's probably what riles me up is that we don't want these barriers so if you as an individual or maybe in your sphere of influence can help to influence the kinds of support that Sam needs so his problem is supply, not demand, then that's going to be a much better outcome. Yeah, and 
we all need to kind of play our part because to your point, we do not want people like Sam having barriers put in front of them. We want their solutions and we want their, you know, energy behind the ocean impact sphere. And if nothing else, I think we can all draw inspiration away from the fact that, you know, not only is this stuff happening worldwide, but Australia uh, can really be uh, a leader. So Wow. Just inspiring. The last one, episode 12. Let's encourage people to apply for Pitchfest 2022. And you could also be chatting to Tim or myself on the podcast. Of course, we forgot to mention that Sam also was the recipient of the Climate Spotlight Award for Pitchfest 2021, which is a a $10,000 cash prize funded by OIO's philanthropy community. So if you're working on a solution to climate change that involves the ocean, then you can certainly be up for that for Pitchfest 2022. So send your applications in. Look, I guess the other one is um, a lot of the biggest fans of the kind of work that we do and the real you know, visionary ideas for the, of, for the future might be around you know shifting away from meat and and livestock right and then that, that's to be completely commended but i guess i just want to sort of float there that you know this is such a huge problem now and it's going to be for the the foreseeable future you've got a solution that sam's working on which can combat those problems whether you're a meat eater or not this solution has incredible merit it's a zero input crop it's improving ocean health and also similar to what we spoke about with atlantic sea farms they're also starting to acquire facilities down in tasmania where existing fisheries um, used to take from the ocean now sea forest are acquiring those leases and facilities to you know harvest their zero input crops so you know i just wanted to sort of float that there because i know sometimes um these solutions that are working with you know wool in the case of planet protector packaging or livestock in the case of sea forest can sort of you know maybe take people away from the ocean and you know but it's it's so attached to ocean impacts so i just wanted to try and float that in a very uneloquent way <laughs> i thought it was eloquent tim um of course you know everything is connected and i couldn't agree more and that's very much what we try to kind of get across to everyone who is applying for the ocean impact pitch fest which is that you know your solution could be upstream or downstream it could be for the ocean or from the ocean but you know your ocean impact can often be there even if it doesn't appear you know on the surface so get your applications in it's ocean-impact.org forward slash pitchfest 2022 and yeah we're we're looking forward to this next uh, season of pitchfest and to talk to more incredible founders we'd like to thank all of the amazing startups that have been on the podcast so far Guess we'll be back with uh, future episodes of the podcast, and then eventually the Pitchfest 2022 series, where we'll learn about the the finalists from uh, from this year's initiative. So, thanks for tuning in, everyone. So thrilled to have back on the Ocean Impact Podcast, Sam Elsom, who is the co-founder and CEO of Sea Forest. How are you, Sam? I'm really well, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me back on. Now, obviously, this second visit is because you were the winner of the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2021, and we've made an effort to speak to all 12 finalists of that particular program. But there is actually a, a episode in the archives of the Ocean Impact podcast, episode 38, where we sat down and chatted about sea forest um, on the northern beaches of Sydney. So that was recorded in June 2021. And so people can go back and listen to episode 38, but we'll still try and chew through a bit of that uh, features of that episode 
But let's really focus on what's been happening, I suppose, in the 12, 15 months since then. Um, give us a little bit of a, a snapshot, Sam. What's been happening in your world since you were last on the Ocean Impact podcast? Yeah, well, it, you know, it feels like yesterday that we were sitting down uh, discussing, you know, sea forest plans. Uh, but I guess, you know, there's been a lot of progress made um, since that time. You know, we've now completed stage one development of our marine farm. Uh, we've had some fantastic results there and, you know, building up a meaningful supply of seaweed. Um, and we've continued to expand our land-based farming footprint. Uh, we now have over 30 tanks from 1,000 litre vessels to 14,000 litre tanks and, and high-rate algal ponds all bubbling away with the, on the seaweed growing on land. Um, we also purchased a, a second land-based site just 30 minutes up the road, another waterfront site, industrial aquaculture site that we're refurbishing into a, a seaweed production facility. So that's a super exciting development. Um, yeah, that that's a, obviously increases our capacity to supply the industry. So, you know, we're, we're busy, you know, heads down, bums up, um, trying to get that site operational as quickly as we can. We have seaweed in the first lot of ponds, but it will take us around 12 months to get it fully operational. So that's uh, that's great, and there's been other developments too. Obviously, on the the farming front, there's 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 lots of uh, um, work happening there, and um, and more and more customers that are coming online, which is really exciting. Great. Well, we've got a good forty minute conversation today to to dive a little bit deeper into all those achievements that you've uh, recorded since we last spoke. But take us a little bit down to your site in Tasmania. So people listening in from all around the world, tell us about where you are down there what it's like and obviously these sites that you're now being able to acquire for your operations. So we're on the southeast coast um, of Tasmania in a town called Tribunna. It has about 200 people uh, as the population and around an hour and a half outside of Hobart. It's uh, a beautiful place as, you know, largely, um, you know, sheep farming region uh, and there grows a lot of wine too, uh, a lot grapes for wine along that coastal region. Um, absolutely beautiful. I think it's sort of Tasmania's answer to the Great Ocean Road if there was such a thing. Um, and uh, so we are adjacent to Mariah Island, which is a very large island that protects our marine lease from the large uh, oceanic swells. Um, we're also, um, it also happens to be an old penal settlement. So, so it was the third place that was settled by um, Europeans after Botany Bay when they first came to Australia. And so there's a lot of, you know, old stone buildings and a lot of history in the in the region. Um, but it's been a magical place, you know, it has, it doesn't get a lot of rainfall. It does obviously get quite cold. Um, and, and obviously being in Tasmania for us, it's fantastic. There's a developed aquaculture industry that we're able to lean on, lots of experience. Um, and, you know, we've been able to build a fantastic team really because of that. But yeah, that's sort of um, that's sort of the area. And we've been fortunate over the last few months too to not not have a lot of the rainfall that the mainland has been receiving. Um, it's been beautiful and clear skies. So, when you're talking about these sites that you're acquiring for your operations, existing aquaculture facilities, and, and maybe the marine leases, what were some of the existing industries in the area? So, you know, our initial site used to be a mussel farm. Um, and our very first site. So we, we slowly ramped up uh, as, as they shut down and so we shared the site for a small period of time. They're now no longer there and, and we fully occupy the, the land-based site and also the, the 1,800 hectare marine lease. 
and now we have this second site, which is a former abalone farm. So this is about land-based farming. So I may have mentioned this in the last podcast, but the seaweed has three life phases. It's what you call trimorphic. We grow one life phase on land and the other life phase on at sea. And so the land-based cultivation is something that we're quite excited about because um, we're able to control a lot of the environmental variables, you know, the, the access to, to carbon and, and nutrients um, through using the flow of ocean water. And so, and so this is an opportunity to take a redundant aquaculture asset and turn it into, you know, something that can create uh, you know, positive environmental impact. So exciting. I guess that's a very important part of the equation when you look at uh, expanding the footprint of sea forest or the technology to other parts of the country or the world, right? Is, is the land-based systems a very important part of that because you are dealing with endemic species that may have barriers to being used in other parts of the world? Yeah, absolutely. So that is that is really correct. It's it's um it's important that we have that land. That's when really the reason why we took a parallel approach to cultivation is so that we could have that opportunity to expand in parts of the world where the seaweed's needed in order to abate methane. And we only have around three percent of the global population of cattle here in Australia, and so it's been it's really important we're able to get this technology to other parts of the world without having to use logistics. Now, Sam, I am conscious that some people might have been tuning into this episode having not yet visited episode 38. So how about you do give us a bit of a spiel about Seaforest? Tell us about the problem that you're solving and how your technology is planning to do that. Sure. So Seaforest is uh, an environmental technology company. You know, we, were, we were four years old um, and we were really established to, to combat climate change through uh, growing seaweed for emissions reduction in livestock. Um, so the seaweed that we grow is called asparagopsis when fed at a very small amount to ruminant livestock. So ruminants such as cattle and sheep, um, you have, it knocks out about or eliminates about 98% of the methane. And to put that into context, about 15% of global anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions come from enteric methane, which is produced from livestock. So you know, whilst um, you know they're very important for food security, um, we don't, we you know they, they are having a, a very meaningful environmental impact, and, and most importantly, we're talking about the gas methane, and methane has twenty eight times the warming impact on our atmosphere as regular CO two. And at COP twenty six last year, which I guess is something that's happened Tim between now and when we last spoke, um, you know it was really targeted pointed out as the the gas which we must be targeting in order to avoid that 1.5 degrees of warming which seems imminent has a shorter lifespan in our atmosphere but it has you know many times the the warming impact so through feeding just 30 grams it's 0.2 percent of the animal's diet is the seaweed supplement and um has has this incredible impact so it's a, a tiny amount just a supplement really and so great that uh, you talk about it being a, a zero input crop and obviously what it can do for the benefits of creating a healthier ocean ecosystem as well. It really is just so remarkable. And I do encourage people to go back and listen to that first episode where we do talk a lot more about the science behind it and just how phenomenal the origin story is, the incredible people that you've chosen to work with. But let's go back, Sam, to you know what has been happening again in that last 12 months. Um, Talk about some of the trials, some of the key achievements that you've seen in that time frame. Um, what's it been like, you know, with the rubber hitting the road, so to speak, with your product actually getting out there to customers and some of the feedback and some of the results? 
Yeah, so yeah, we've um, supported many academic or research trials at, at um, whether that around Australia. We've used um, to, to continue to demonstrate what we already know is that this methane is more or less inhibited from the use of the supplement. But we've also looked at toxicology and, and impacts on, on the flavour and, and marble score of the, the beef or the, the flavour of the milk. Um, but in parallel, we've also been scaling with partners like Fonterra, um, like MJ Bale, who have now are now bringing a, a net zero nips and carbon neutral soup product to market, which is really quite exciting. Um, fantastic to be a part of that journey. And um, yeah, we, we've had uh, AA Co trials have started, you know, with F1 Wagyu's. It's the first time uh, Wagyu beef have been um, fed the asparagopsis. They're in feedlots for a very long time. Um, and, you know, Rangers Valley is another great uh, company that we've started working with. So, you know, these companies altogether have, you know, many hundreds of thousands of head of animal and, um, you know, we're just at the, I guess, getting started stage. Uh, you know, for us, you know, our goal last year was to feed 100,000 head of animals or of livestock. And I would say that we, we've done our part to produce, you know, the supply but the market hasn't really adopted or, or the industry hasn't really adopted at the same pace at which we'd hoped. Um, between now and when we last spoke, Tim, there was a, a what they call a low emission statement by Angus Taylor, um, which is our previous um, minister for uh, the Department of Energy, uh, Department of Energy, Science, Resources. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we put a submission forward to him uh, as part of a livestock working group to hopefully have carbon abatement credits uh or a methodology developed for carbon abatement credits from the use of feed supplements, um, and that was rejected. So that was a really unfortunate sort of setback, really, if you like, because we, you know, that would have delivered the ability for Australian farmers to access carbon credits from using the supplement and would have been a driver to adoption. Now there's neither a, a stick or a carrot for farmers hoping to use our supplement. Wow, okay. that's uh, Well, we are in a new... A new government now, a new federal government. So hopefully that might change the opportunities for you to uh, to reenact that push to to get some some credit certification for utilising your product. But you mentioned there that you know you are doing really well on the supply front, but you could you could do with a bit more demand. That's really surprising to me. Tell us a little bit more about that. So you've obviously got some great brands out there and companies that are willing to pioneer your solution, but you need a whole lot more. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think we there's we're we're only occupying about a third of our existing marine lease in the ocean. We've obviously got the second uh, land-based site, which is fantastic, um, which we can also expand upon. So there's plenty of capacity for supply. We believe we could feed around two million head of cattle now from our existing assets. But you know, for the industry to adopt, um, you know, it would help to have a, an ecosystem where you've got that support. I know that. The Australian public and and I think you know the global public really care about climate change and they um, would love to see action around this. But I know that um, you know some of these conservative farmers don't necessarily have that same view around the urgency for action. So we are you know we're working through this and having you know the conversations. Uh, it just takes time, but it would be I think it would be really helpful if we had a um, you know either an incentive or, or a tax. Or a penalty for not um, 
for not reducing your emissions. And I think that these things will come. It's just it's just time. We're we're moving quickly, Tim, as you know. Um, you know, but we do know that the the latest Labor government here in Australia has announced a forty three percent reduction in emissions, and that'll be a positive outcome. And all industries will have to do their part to re- deliver that. And hopefully CFRS will have a role to play in, in helping livestock farmers reduce their emissions as part of that. Absolutely. Is there things that we and the people listening as as consumers, as citizens can be doing to to help further that case? Is there a, is there a little call to action there to do anything or is it really high level diplomacy at this stage on, on your front with other stakeholders? It is. I mean, I think that most importantly, there is a solution that exists. And I guess if you think back to the early days of, you know, solar energy, you know, there was a, a few people adopting and it was expensive and the technology's come a long way since. Um, but but there is a solution and um, it's just about sort of getting this to, to farmers and helping them understand that, you know, there's a productivity gain that's a, it's an outcome of using the product and there's also, um, you know, this very strong abatement. So, and and in that, an opportunity to maybe market a differentiated product to consumers who care. So this is where we're sort of having, um, yeah, these types of conversations. Yeah. Tell me about like others in the space that would benefit from a similar federally imposed tax or incentive. I mean, is there some industry group forming to to help lobby together or is there competitors out there that you're sort of working with to try and further these opportunities? Yeah, there, there isn't the collaboration, I guess, that you would think, but there is a what they're calling a live, what they did call a livestock working group. So there's a, a, a body that's represented by the livestock sector and that includes all feed supplements. So there are, there are supplements such as uh, a weed called Desmanthus um, and Leukina. They, they have a very small amount of abatement, but they're still meaningful in grazing systems. Um, and you know we get together with those guys. There's a Dutch company that has a um, a compound as well, um, as well as industry who actually want to see action around this. So you know there are there are livestock farmers within the country that want that want carbon credits, um, and so yeah. So we are I think in a way we are collaborating. Wonderful. What about on the on the seaweed front? What's been sort of happening in your perspective with let's talk about you know the Australian seaweed growing farming ecosystem or maybe you want to talk about things on a global context i know that hobart in tasmania is about to hold the 24th international seaweed symposium in february 2023 it sounds like a very exciting event but uh yeah give us a bit of a snapshot of what you're seeing happening in the australian and the global seaweed space if you've got some perspective yeah sure i mean um yeah we, we keep very much in our lane i would say we've we've still got a a lot of work to do and we've, we've got a lot on our plate but um, we've definitely seen the industry grow in the time that we've been um, in business there's been a you know a, a kind of swell of interest and then you know a lot there's a few startups around the place that are trying to kind of get something off the ground there's been fantastic collaboration i would say in that space um, there is a the australian sustainable seaweed alliance which is like an almost like an industry body that's formed to support um, the development of the industry and also um, help with the the governing of that of that sea country, um, and you know, and I think it's fantastic because you know, as I said probably earlier, there's a, a seaweed is a zero input crop. You know, it's a fantastic um, you know f- food resource, 
um, but it also has these all of these amazing compounds that can be used for a myriad of purposes, whether it be cosmetics or, in this case, um, livestock feed supplements. So there's been a lot of changes. Um, I think you know we're very excited about the event next year. That, um, it, as you said, the first time in 24 years that the um, uh, International Seaweed Symposium has been held in in Australia, um, and and I think that's going to be an opportunity for all of the world's academics to come together. We're expecting now with the, you know, COVID being more or less behind us that there'll be a lot of international and visitors. Um, and it's a great chance for also the, the general public to get together and, and those that are interested in seaweed farming to come and um, hear directly from the researchers but also see some of the fantastic work happening in everything from blue carbon to new products um, and even propagation techniques. So, yeah, that that's a... That's a fantastic development, and that'll be great for Tasmania. It certainly will. I can imagine there's a huge amount of excitement amongst the Australian community, both the academics and the entrepreneurs and, and business um, leaders like yourself down there. Um, Seaforest is going to be a bit of a partner, a good chance for you to get some really good global exposure. Yeah, absolutely. And we have also some of our academics um, that are you know, researchers that will be presenting some of the science that they've been working on, which is great. Um, yeah, so we're really excited about that and very happy to support them. On the science front, has there been sort of any new developments or any revelations or um, challenges on the science front? I mean, or do you feel like a lot of the hard work is done or is it always going to be continuing forever in an industry like you're involved in? Yeah, I think um, it has come a long way is the short answer. Um, but I, I think even though it does feel like the the most complicated piece the make or break piece is behind us and the fact that we can now cultivate the seaweed um, consistently um, and at scale. There's, you know, a billion cattle on the planet. You know, there's absolutely a lot of mouths to feed and a huge amount of this product that would be required. So, you know, the science can never stop and we, we must continue to progress and see how we can improve our product. Um, and on that front, we've been able to, so land-based farming, we've been able to get a six-fold increase in, in the concentration of bioactives inside the seaweed, which is fantastic. Um, you know, that meaning one kilogram of seaweed could feed up to six times the number of animals. Um, that's just amazing uh, work that, that um, Professor Rocky Denise and Dr. Masa Tatsumi have been working on. Um, the other is on the actual product development side. So at the moment, or maybe when we spoke, the, the supplement was only suitable for controlled feeding systems or production systems. So where you have cattle in a rotary and they're getting milked, you can you know, feed the cows a supplement um, or where you have uh, a feedlot where every mouthful is, is a ration that's provided to them. In extensive grazing system, there was no solution. What we've been able to do um, is create a, uh, pellets and also lick blocks, which is uh, like a large, almost like a concrete block um, that includes all mineral supplements. It's molasses-based generally and has um, also has our sea feed supplement. They're put near the water source and then animals are guaranteed to drink every day and they come and um, they lick the block and they get the supplement at that time. So it opens us up now to accessing the, the further 23 million of, 20, of the 26 million cattle in Australia. So that's a huge development, um, which we're really excited about. So we're now testing that um, these blocks under the harsh Australian 
conditions to check on uh, integrity and, and make sure there's stability over time. That's really awesome news. And it sort of goes back, I suppose, to that previous point where trying to find those customers that are highly motivated to to become you know, customers of yours. And I'm sure there's probably a lot more outside of that feedlot setting, perhaps. So you're now opening up those new channels to a much more diverse customer base. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You start to get into sort of almost, you know, regen ag farmers and, um, you know, a different sort of demographic really rather than the, the large corporate farms and feedlots. Um, yeah, which is, which is really exciting, but also essential, you know, if we're to reduce, significantly reduce methane emissions. I mean, MLA, that industry body has a 2030 carbon neutral target and they need this supplement to help get there. Can you run us through a little bit more about just sort of what quantities you can produce? In in a in an area or in a in a process, like just try and give us a bit of color as to what it takes to to create a volume of material that can then go out to market. So um, there's two parallel approaches to cultivation, and one is on land. So ultimately, um, we stock the ponds with a certain amount of seaweed, and then through photosynthesis, the biomass or seaweed. Um, grows, fragments, multiplies, and as it multiplies, it thickens and the density increases and then there's the growth plateaus. As that growth plateaus, that's the time to harvest, and so we're harvesting almost every three days. And so that's there's about a 20% growth week on week, and so that kind of gives you an idea. The larger the vessel, the more biomass you're getting out of those those land-based tanks. So a certain, gives you an idea of one of those vessel sizes that you're working with, what sort of, um, you know, weight or volume of biomass are you able to pull out? Yeah, it, it varies, but, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, at least 20 tonnes of, of biomass from, uh, you know, over a six-month period from those ponds. Yep. Wow. Um, yeah, so so meaningful amount. Um, we expect to get from the Swansea site, uh, I think it's about 150 tonnes of biomass out of the ponds. Yeah, but you've got to remember as well that the animals only eat a very small amount and then it comes down to, you know, the, the rate of growth for the seaweed and also the concentration of bioactives. Yeah, that concentration of bioactives, a six-fold increase, is that through, through straight-up science, selective breeding? I mean, probably some industry secrets there. That just sounds like a phenomenal result. Yeah, that's right. So it is all a, it's a natural selection um, process and then controlling the variables that drive this so this the the natural variables such as light temperature and nutrients yeah so it's a, it's a simple process fantastic so it doesn't sound like um you know from your side there's there's not a lot of barriers in place aside from just making sure you've got enough demand and the obviously the flow of capital to then keep going and, and growing at the rate that you're growing yeah i think um yeah th- I, there's a lot of good stories you know i feel like the issue for me is that there is a we have a an at scale solution and you know we can start to have a meaningful impact if we could feed two million cattle that's five point six million tons of co two equivalent being wiped off our national greenhouse gas inventory every year we can't do that not because we're not capable of growing the seaweed but because that market development piece isn't in place so we are, you know, we, we that that is sort of where I guess the frustration and tension comes from is that we want we want to see as maximum action by twenty thirty as is feasible, um, or as possible, and so you know that drives us forward. But there are really great stories in there. We have met many farmers that are completely motivated to get things done. You know, I've, I've spoken about Simon Cameron. There are there are many Simon Camerons around Australia that are you know getting up every morning and making sure their cattle have this you know seaweed supplement you know, that, that are coming down to Tasmania and that visit us and that are, 
you know, so enthusiastic about it. So there is a change in the air. I think, you know, I think once consumers have or the public have a tangible product that they can then demand, you know, that that will be when the sort of, I guess, the, the dynamic shifts. At the moment, there's this um, feeling maybe that, you know, I, I don't know if livestock producers really know whether or not there is that demand for a low methane steak. Because, you know, some people who care about climate change don't eat meat at all. So, um, you know, where do we sit on that trajectory? And that would just be interesting. It'll be something that time will tell. Well, if time's anything to go by, we are moving at the rate of knots. I mean, it's it's too slow for the, the sake of the planet and for people like you and I, many listeners who know the urgency. But you can always look back with a little bit of hindsight and realise, you know what, we actually were moving really fast there. And, and you're a business that has been moving exceptionally fast and I'm just so thrilled to hear that you know those those barriers are at the high level what has that meant for you as a leader as a CEO and working with a leadership team working with your board working with advisors and key stakeholders it sounds to me like you'd have to be devoting quite a bit of your time and energy to those high level results and changes that are very government um level as opposed to then also having you know one foot in the camp of running a very fast-paced and emerging operations as well what's it been like for you as a, as a leader it must be a wild ride it is a wild ride and we're completely dedicated like i've got you know we're working around the clock mostly most weekends um you know i'm away from the family most of the time but uh but you know we have a wonderful team like we have a, the most fantastic and dedicated team right across the board whether they're marine farming whether they're in our science team um, and, and even whether they're in our statutory board, everybody's so supportive um, and also dedicated to you know, the outcomes that we, they know we can achieve. Um, for me personally, you know, it's been a, a very rapid learning curve, you know, everything from lobbying government officials to you know, talking about climate change with livestock farmers to, um, you know, to running a marine farm you know, operation that, you know, this is, you know, definitely not my original wheelhouse but you know we've we've uh, we all respect each other and, and we're all learning from one another and I think um, it, it all comes back to having a fantastic team as the foundation behind everything that we're doing yeah absolutely and you know this is why we we always send such big praise your way your your origin story the the why that you do what you do and and how you're navigating that multitude of hoops that you're constantly required to jump through. It's just, it is inspiring and it's very sort of humbling, Sam, because that's, we need more Sams. And that's kind of, you know, what, what OIO is all about. Like, let's find the people that are willing to just go so hard, so deep, so broad, so committed, because that's exactly what we need for the future. What's, what was it like sort of being, you know, you've had so many awards and acknowledgements for your great work. Uh, since starting really but particularly in the last 12 months what's it like to be rewarded and obviously you can talk about the the pitch fest and just sort of knowing that the world cares so much about the work that you're doing absolutely winning winning the pitch fest was awesome tim it was fantastic for seaforest broadly i mean um you know even though you know i knew about it i've known about it for quite a while and since you guys almost started ocean impact organization but, you know, it was sent to us by many of our, our team, you know, that we should really jump on this. It's a fantastic opportunity. And so then to win it means, you know, that that gives the team the recognition that gives them, it's uh, puts the, the wind in their sails, if you like. It keeps them going in, when times are tough. You know, I may have mentioned um, that 
particularly in the scientific team, we had a long run where, you know, really the company had about two years of pure R&D. And so that means repeating, you know, experiments over and over and over again, hoping for a different outcome. And, you know, there's a lot of resilience that's required to get through those periods. And and they happen intermittently as we grow as a business. You know, we make some progress and then we're, you know, stuck on something and we keep going. And it's and the accolades that come through and the recognition um, really boosts team morale and it's important to us, um, especially because we're all the way down in the southeast coast and the bottom end of Australia, that, that the people elsewhere are really care about what we're working on. Yeah, people do. People really do. And we can't wait. We're obviously in the midst of the Pitch Fest 2022 at the moment, only launched recently, but that means in a few months' time we'll be um, sharing with the world the next tranche of incredible, inspiring startups doing great things. So it's a it's a constant rush for us, um, and we really, again, very much appreciate you. Absolutely, Sam. What about um, just talking? I guess just knowing again all these entrepreneurs out there, and we we're so thrilled to know that this podcast does reach people that are either working in these emerging industries or thinking about developing one of their own. What are some of those key learnings or those little words of wisdom that, that tend to come out when you're speaking or knowing that your words are going to be landing with a scientist who's interested in commercialization or a budding entrepreneur who's feeling the weight of the challenges? What are some of your words of wisdom? Oh, that's a really tough one, Tim. I think, uh, you know, I just, I, I always sort of, you know, I feel like my journey with Sea Forest is that we, I just put one foot in front of the other. So it wasn't a, a seaweed farmer overnight. You know, I, I started on Google and then I had some conversations and then I was watching, you know, YouTube clips and I was reading books and then you know, I was ringing academics and slowly you build this knowledge base and then you're putting, you know, metaphorically one foot in front of another and, and you filling yourself with knowledge and as you do so then you build confidence and then you know that's that's how you create change you know it's like I guess an athlete that has to build muscle memory you know you know we just we have to train if we're going to achieve something and so it's much the same um, with any endeavor and I guess from you know only reflecting on my own journey I didn't feel like I flicked a switch and became started Seaforest it was a journey of education that it started with and and we got there over time so I guess um, the advice is just, you know, follow whatever it is that you, you're seeking to to achieve and, and educate yourself and see where it takes you. What about that, you know, going out on a limb and, and, and doing something bold? I mean, maybe for you, I think you spoke about in the last episode, you know, you, you knew you were transitioning. You were almost just waiting for where to line your sights up that you'd shoot your arrow and it would land. But you know, stepping out on a limb and, and, and building a startup, there's obviously a huge amount of um, fear that goes with that as well or not so much for yourself? No, definitely. There's all sorts of uncertainty. I think that's um, one of the things. I mean, there's there's still a, a level of uncertainty with Seaforest. Um, but, you know, I think because, yeah, and, and it was from, from, and I reflect on my own experience, for us and my family, we were, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a change of direction, you know. It was uh, you know risk and and you know meant you know income and, and other you know aspects of of everyday living were impacted by pers- the pursuit of this pathway, um, and yeah, you know, that that creates risks and tension. But it's a it's for the sake of the planet, you know. I think we don't have a when when the the need is there. 
I just think that win or lose here, it, you know, more had to be done or more has to be done. You know, even today as we sit here 12 or 18 months on from when we last spoke, there's not been an enormous amount of action around climate change. There's been there's been a movement, there's been lots of advocacy, there's now a new government. So I think that the momentum is swelling. But when we talk about real action and an actual tangible emissions reduction, we're not nowhere near where we need to be. Lots of talk and not enough action. And I feel like, you know, that's the business that we're trying to build is one that creates, you know, that tangible impact through action around emissions reduction. Um, so, you know, I guess it is bold, but I think, you know, even if I fail, I don't think um, I don't think anyone would say it's not worthwhile. Mate, absolutely, and we we share some similar motivations there, and uh, I reckon that's going to have landed pretty firmly with everyone listening in. Um, I think we can almost move towards wrapping it up there, but I obviously like to finish with a chance for you to talk about anything that you sort of wanted to get to today but you haven't had the chance to get to. Um, and if nothing comes up for you there, then obviously just let people know where they can follow and support the journey. Yeah, um, well, no, I, you know, obviously always a huge supporter of everything you guys are doing at Ocean Impact Organisation. We're keenly watching this year's Pitch Fest and uh, excited to see some of the candidates that come through, Tim. Um, you know, keep up the great work that you're doing and it's been such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm so grateful. Uh, thanks, Sam, and I hope we can uh, catch up in the flesh soon, maybe share a wave in the beautiful blue ocean um, and, yeah, keep up the great work. So happy to hear that the, the team gets motivated by the work that we do as well. So massive props to the entire Seaforest team and everyone involved with your business and keep up the fantastic work. Thanks so much, Tim. Cancer.